Uh, We'll be looking at Isaiah 66. We're also going to read Jude, um, but just to continue to read all over the New Testament, but we'll Our sermon will come from Isaiah 66, so if you have a bulletin, you can follow along there. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn there as well. Isaiah 66, and I encourage you uh, as much as you can, remember and and think on maybe the things from Isaiah 65 uh, this morning as we read through this, uh, because they are certainly connected, and I'll highlight some of those in the sermon. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. He that killeth an ox, however, is as if he slew a man. He that sacrificeth a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck, he that offereth an oblation, as if he offered swine's blood, he that burneth incense, as if he blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. I also will choose their delusions, and will bring their fears upon them, because when I called, none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear, but they did evil before mine eyes and chose that in which I delighted not. Hear the word of the Lord, then, ye that tremble at his word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified. But he, the Lord, shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that rendereth recompense to his enemies. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth, saith the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb? saith thy God. Rejoice ye with Jerusalem, and be glad with her, all ye that love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all ye that mourn for her, that ye may suck and be satisfied with the breasts of her consolations, that ye may milk out and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then shall ye suck, ye shall be born upon her sides, and be dandled upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you, and ye shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And when ye see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like an herb, and the hand of the Lord shall be known toward his servants, and his indignation toward his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come with fire with his chariots like a whirlwind, to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens behind one tree in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse, 
shall be consumed together, saith the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them, and I will send those that escape of them unto the nations, to Tarshish, Pul, and Lud, that draw the bow, to Tubal and Javon, to the isles afar off, that have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. And they shall bring all your brethren for an offering unto the Lord out of all nations upon horses and in chariots and in litters and upon mules and upon swift beasts to my holy mountain Jerusalem, saith the Lord, as the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Lord. And I will also take of them, that is the Gentiles, for priests and for Levites, saith the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh." Amen, in the epistle of Jude. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the Lord, the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, they are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities." Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, and durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally, as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea foaming out with their shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, 
The Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference or distinction, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. In Isaiah 66, it rings out as a wonderful word for us to end 2023 and to Begin 2024. I could draw your attention to a few lines, but uh, as is maybe helpful to you to do, if you don't get but one thing from this service tonight, I pray that you would take home verse 2 with you that the man to whom the Lord will look is the man who is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Again, if you get nothing else out of this service tonight, I pray you take that truth home with you and prepare for. 2024. If we can't pray for or understand a single thing out of Isaiah 66 tonight, let it be that. A question may arise, what is Isaiah 66 about? There is a recurring theme all the way through, and that is worship. It talks about worship from the beginning to the end. False worship, true worship, God bringing in new worshipers and all those things. It paves the way from the beginning that call of God for men to come before him and tremble at his word. It paves the way for the rest of the chapter as the Lord explains those who worship him falsely and worship him truly. As for those who worship him falsely and those who, as he says, make their sacrifices as they choose, he says very straightforwardly, they have chosen their own ways and their soul delighteth. And their abominations. Notice he is not speaking of people who are uh, uneducated holy ones, but those who are living in hypocrisy, who are choosing willingly to reject the worship of God. And in response to this, what does he do? He's going to, as uh, is referenced in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I believe it is, he's going to send delusions. Uh, some translations render it as uh, harsh treatments or ill treatments. That is to say that these things are not random delusions or random judgments that God descends, but they are choice judgments by him. The word here seems to carry the idea, again, of ill treatments, meaning the Lord, for those who reject him in this way, specifically those who were uh, Isaiah was speaking to, he's going to prepackage this treatment for them that will bring 
even their fears upon them. What a dreadful place to be in. As I was reflecting upon this part of the passage, I was, I was reminded of a conversation that uh, Andrew and I had uh, recently. I think it was after the session meeting, or maybe even before the other day, but um, this is much like those who are, are so corrupt today, their greatest fear is to be what God made them to be. When in fact, for all eternity, they will spend it as the very thing that they sought to reject. For those who have these uh, transitional surgeries, and even for men and women that don't choose those things, but still reject the role that God has given them, he promises to bring the greatest fear, their own fears upon them as this ill treatment, this delusion that would drive them further away. And the Lord gives the reason for this. He says in the text, he called and none answered. He spoke and they did not hear. Instead of listening, they responded with evil. As he says, choosing in their souls to delight in their abominations. What a dreadful place to be in. Again, this is the false worship that God is laying out and how it is truly described. But then, as you, you know, maybe you noticed as we were reading through, God kind of turns his attention. He turns his attention from the false worshipers for a bit. He comes back to them. But at least from verse 5 following, God appears to address a remnant among those false worshipers. Uh, maybe you think of the idea where Paul says not all Israel is Israel, that there is a faithful body even within a visibly unfaithful body. It was true in the Old Testament. It's true uh, even today, he condemns those who worship falsely in verses 1 to 4. But then at verse 5 and following, which begins with, Hear the word of the Lord, he addresses those who tremble at his word. Notice he takes the very phrase from verse 2 and brings it on down here, as if to say there were people present then who were already doing this. He addresses those who tremble at his word. To them, he speaks much like what we hear in the Gospels. Maybe you thought of Christ's warning to his apostles. Christ warned them of a time that others would throw them out of the synagogue. Maybe you remember this and you're reading through the Gospels thinking that they were doing the service of God. This is predicted right here in our text in Isaiah where he says, um, Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake meaning as if it were for my name's sake, they said, let the Lord be glorified. But he, that is the Lord, shall appear to your joy. They shall be ashamed. Those who were trembling at the word of God were promised his preservation, even amidst all these false worshipers all around them. And as I pointed to something earlier that is going on today, this is something not just today, but that has always been the case where those who are righteous are being opposed by those who act as if and say as if they are functioning in righteousness. Godly men are being driven from the church by church people, by church leadership. The hypocrites will think they serve the Lord's, uh, think they serve the Lord. Those who are often known as White knights, those who are men and women who defend false teaching in the name of niceness and patience. They think that they serve the Lord. But when he appears, all will be made right. All will be made clear. He shall appear to the joy of those who tremble 
at his word. And those who feigned righteousness, the text says, will be ashamed. For as he says, his voice has and will ring out from his holy city, the new Jerusalem that was coming in the new heavens and the new earth, from the temple, indeed his church. And it will be a voice that hands out recompense to his enemies. Let the persecuted understand. This is something that has always been in play. From the beginning of the scriptures, you see with Cain and Abel, even through the prophets, even with the apostles, John warns of the same in the book of Revelation, the righteous will be persecuted even by those who claim to be doing service in the name of God. But they must know that the voice of the Lord will continue to ring out and hand out his judgment as he sees fit. He promises a time, and there's a hint uh, certainly here to uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus, and possibly Revelation chapter 12, but he promises a time that the travails of righteous living, the hard labors, you know, as Jesus speaks of in the Olivet Discourse, the, the birth pangs, that they will end, they will be brought forth, the, the purpose of birth will come, the purpose of all this hard labor that Christians do, it will be brought forth, kind of hearkening back to Isaiah 65, where he told the people, have hope, your work is not in vain. And for those who rejoice with the church of the living God, they are receiving nourishment, yes, from him, but through the church from him. Notice how he describes the church with the image of a mother. And I'm sure looking out over all of you this evening that you've heard uh, the, the early church quote that Calvin liked to quote that plenty of others have, that no man can have God for his father if he will not have the church for his mother. They get this imagery from passages like this. The church may not always be glorious to our eyes, but the bride of Christ is always lovely to him. And lovely in him, even as a mother nourishing her children. Perhaps Isaiah is promising a time when this will even be the case in this life, when the righteous will look on the church and understand that she is beautiful. As we mentioned this morning, though, there's probably an already not yet aspect to this, for we are also promised that the wheat and the tares will be together until the end. It's true, though that those who are mature in the faith, one of the greatest encouragements that they often give you is to stick it out in the church, to not give up on the church, because they understand and see the beauty of the church. It's a heavenly and invisible spiritual reality. Even in her most feeble moments, the mature saints know that the church is their mother because God is their father. We wait on the Lord to reveal this even further to all, and when he does this, he says, it will be like an extending of his peace to the church as a river. And this points to the New Testament times, the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. What does that make you think of? It makes you think of Paul speaking about the times of the Gentiles, of Christ saying some of the similar language in his Olivet Discourse. The church will support and receive Jew and Gentile alike, those from all over will be brought into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The nations of the earth, we have a certain promise here from the Lord that the nations of the earth will be comforted by the church as their very own mother. What a glorious image. Paul speaks of this in Galatians 6 when he writes, The Jerusalem which is above is free, and she is the mother 
of us all, meaning all believers. All those in Christ share in the blessings of the church as their mother. They are both members of the body, the bride of Christ, that's one image, but they also benefit from the church as children benefiting from a mother. And it struck me as I was thinking through this text how, how often people will use the Bible and Christianity, rightly so, to teach on how in God you have a good father. No matter how awful your earthly father has been, you can trust the heavenly father. But have you ever heard anyone make this point about the church? That in the church you have the perfect mother because God works through her? I certainly don't imagine we've heard it in an age like ours where there is such a low view of the church, but I don't think that that truth would be uh, misused if we did it. As difficult as it may seem, the way that Isaiah is speaking of the church, it harkens back to uh, 65, uh, chapter 65, the very last phrase in verse 25, where they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For he speaks of the comfort that they will receive in the church. And there's a truth about this that I want us just to chew on. I'm not going to spend time here, but I want to give it to you. You can take it home with you tonight, and maybe we can talk about it later. You are never hurt by the church. You're hurt by people. That's a web that we have to untangle. But no one has ever been hurt by the church. For the church is the place where there is no hurt nor destruction because it is the holy mountain of the Lord. The Lord promises that his servants shall know this. And when, not if, they see this, their hearts shall rejoice and their bones shall flourish like an herb. I believe what you have described there. Uh, it's verses 15 and 16. I know you don't have the verse numbers in the bulletin. Maybe I should start uh, putting those in there. Uh, but what you have, it begins with, For behold, the Lord will come with fire. I believe that what you have, because of verse 16 following, is an explanation of the work of the Word of God. It's apocalyptic language in verse 15 that is made more clear by verse 16. And why do I think this is the Word? Because he says in verse 16 that it is by this fire and by his sword that the Lord pleads with all flesh. The Lord is pleading with all flesh by fire and by his sword. This does not happen in the eternal state. And there is no second chance at the last judgment. This is something that happens now. Something that the Bible so often does, and I'm going to draw to your attention near the end as well, is it... Um, to use a word that I've been using in Sunday school, it, it re-enchants your mind and your thinking of things. Who thinks of hearing the word preached as hearing the fire of the Lord or his chariots like a whirlwind? Who thinks of it like that? Right? I certainly don't the way that I should. He says there will be many who refuse this word. They're described under the imagery, again, of false worship. Certainly things that were actually in play in Isaiah's day, they're in play today as well, though they might look a bit different. If you were to look back at chapter 65, uh, verses 3 to 5, I'll just give you some of the phrases there, um, where he spoke, uh, we read it this morning, about a people who provoked him to his face. They sacrificed in gardens. 
They burned incense upon altars of brick. They remained among the graves. They lodged in the monuments. Uh, they ate swine's flesh and broth of abominable things. They literally said, I am holier than thou. That's probably where the phrase comes from that uh, many of us are familiar with. Uh, but this same idea is brought forward here in verse 17. For it speaks of those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves, although not really, of course, in the gardens behind one tree in the midst, eating swine's flesh, the abomination, the mouse, etc., etc., that they shall be consumed by the Lord. What Isaiah is doing, one commentator says, is piling up these charges of idolatry and impurity against Israel. They're supposed to be offering continuous sacrifices, but their sacrifices are a continuous provocation. They build their altars from bricks rather than from stones, as the law required. The sacrificial smoke, remember that imagery in the temple that the smoke ascends up and it uh, goes up into God's nostrils as a pleasing aroma? That's not happening. Besides, they are in a continuous state of uncleanness. They Quote, inhabit graveyards, they eat pig flesh that's cooked in impure broth, they have contact with death, and we know that that produced an especially intense form of impurity, and they were inhabiting cemeteries. That was unthinkable. Just think about Jesus and how he was viewed for doing those things in the Gospels. Verse 4, he says, seems to be describing uh, assemblies at the graves of the dead, referring back to chapter 65. Perhaps this was some kind of hero cult that the people were involved in. Then he seals their condemnation. And he says, much like he says here in chapter 66, verse 17, that the people claim to be too holy for anyone to draw near to them. Even though they were living in graveyards, eating unclean flesh, they claimed to be worried that someone would come too close, touch them, and defile them. Their state of defilement had become a point of pride. Close quote. So you have this same idea, this wretched false worship that is taking place in Isaiah 65 being brought back here again in Isaiah 66. And why is that such an important thing to reflect on? Because the redemption seems all the greater when you see the darkness of the backdrop. How corrupt these people were, yet God promises mercy even still. His heart, not just for those who... Uh, we're walking against him, his patience with him, his heart for the world is shown in language that I think is perfectly applicable to all the persecution and chaos of the first century, where he spoke of those who would escape, those who would set a sign among the nations, that they would escape to preach to Tarshish, to Pool, to Lud, and other places and whatnot, that they would be the means by which God would bring the Gentiles. Remember how the church was centered in Jerusalem and part of the purpose of the book of Acts was to drive them out of Jerusalem. You have that imagery even here that the spirit uh, for the purpose of preaching the word of God would be the, the, these people who were spread out and had escaped that persecution and all the other chaos that was going on, that they would be the means by which God would gather all nations and tongues so that they would come and see his glory. Now, I don't want you to think that that's something that only happened in the first century. It is something that continues to go on today. For this, just like Isaiah 65, is a description in some way of the very age in which we live. The age of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Did you notice that glorious language where he speaks 
they shall bring all your brethren for an offering. That is, those who escaped will be used to bring the elect of God. Those who live through persecution are those that bring forward the elect of God. As Paul says, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. This is the age of the gospel that is being spoken of here. Brethren are brought unto the Lord out of all nations upon whatever is necessary to get them there. Just as Israel brought offerings of old, so the whole world will bring offerings into the church and worship in the heavenly Jerusalem. And did you notice that he even promised to ordain from among the nations priests and Levites? How can a Gentile be a Levite or a priest when all the qualifications were in play? Because God changed things. Because God said so. There was a new day that was coming. The new heavens and the new earth, which we spoke of this morning. He says it will remain before him. He's going to make it. It was future to Isaiah, but present now to us in some partial way. And even the seed of those who are brought in. Look at how God includes the doctrine, one of these doctrines that we hold so dear, that God even sees that our seed will remain with us in this age. The Lord promises again that week after week, feast after feast, all flesh shall come to worship him. The passage of time here in this verse, new moon to new moon, Sabbath to Sabbath, this passage of time concept uh, prevents us from seeing this reality as something that is simply heavenly. This is the age in which we live. Remarkably, the Lord calls on us to observe the nations that are slain both in soul and body and make note of those who transgress against him, those who do not come to this new Jerusalem. Those who do not go new moon to new moon or Sabbath to Sabbath, their punishment begins in this life and continues into the next. As so many have said, Christians in this life are as close to hell as as they'll ever be, but non-Christians in this life are as close to heaven as they'll ever be. I want to challenge you to something for 2024 and time beyond. I want to challenge you to season your household, and to season your family with this glorious view of the age in which we live. We are participating in this imagery that Isaiah describes, bringing forth all the brethren of the Lord from all the nations to offer praise to God in his holy mountain. Use Isaiah 66, 20 to 24 to prepare for worship. Rejoice in the Lord that he makes priests even of us Gentiles. Be honest. How often does this optimism of the scriptures affect your view of things? Things are bad now. Andrew mentioned that earlier in his prayer. They are bad. There are days when we feel like Christ could come at any moment. Maybe he will. But how does this optimism of the scriptures affect your view of things? Because if you take God's view, things are looking pretty good. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord, we ask that...